A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. Storytelling is what connects us as humans, and for brands, it is no different. A well-told story can effectively position your brand in the minds and hearts of your audience, and can convert thoughts and feelings into results and revenue. On this show, we dive into the unique and recurring principles of world-class storytellers from every walk of life to help you level up your storytelling skills and knowledge to drive real, measurable results for you and your organization. Here's your host, Paul Furlong. Hello and welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. My name is Paul Furlong, creative director at Opus Media, and I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you know the power of storytelling. And I want you to bring that power to your own writing with Roger Shulman at thewritercoach.com. Roger's unique coaching method connects your personal story to whatever you're writing, giving it heart and depth. The result, your presentation, website copy, keynote address or screenplay becomes compelling, entertaining and persuasive. Roger is the winner of a British Academy Award and nominee for the Oscar and the Emmy. So go to thewritercoach.com and schedule a free discovery session. Let Roger bring the Hollywood to your writing. Today's guest is Dr. Uri Hassan, and he is a professor in the Department of Psychology and the Neuroscience Institute at Princeton University. He studies the brain responses to natural, real-life events. In particular, he's interested in understanding how communication through storytelling can affect human cognition. So, Uri, welcome to the show. Hi, happy to be here. Can we start with you expanding a little bit on that very short introduction that I've just given you? Tell me a little bit more about you and the work that you do. Okay, so first, we are scientists. We do basic science. We really try to understand how the brain communicate information from one brain to another. And there's something really magical over here happening, right? We never met. As you can tell, I have an heavy accent, so it's also very difficult to understand me for the audience. And I have a very different background. I grew up in Jerusalem, in Israel and you go up in the UK. So we are very different people. And yet, amazingly, 
I can sell my thoughts using words and you understand what I'm saying. And this like magical experience that we do on a daily basis is the basis of our research. How come I can communicate my thoughts, my neural brain states to other people that I never met. So that's what we study. That's fascinating. And you've you've touched on one of the physical attributes that allow us to communicate with each other there, which is which is kind of the, the speaking and the and the auditory connection. So can you expand on that a little bit and tell us about the other physical attributes that allow us to communicate with each other? Yeah, so there is no magical telepathy over it, right? I to speak with you, I have to vocalize, I have brain states. These brain states, you can think about it like brain waves. I transform them into sound waves. These sound waves going out to the mic over the internet or the radio, whatever the way you are listening to, and it's generate and modified your brain waves. So now there's a coupling between my brain and your brain. It's not like telepathy or mystery. It's really physical coupling. You can think about it like a wireless communication in, in which my brain generates sound waves that coupled your brain activity to my brain activity. And you've done a number of experiments at Princeton behind uh, to, to discover this coupling. So could you talk us through some of these experiments and, and how they've worked and what you've discovered through these experiments? Yeah, I think the main premise is that by being able to influence your brain activity using the sound waves, my task is to make your brain similar to mine. If I have now concepts that reflect the way I'm thinking, if I will manage to make your brain similar to mine, we'll be aligning the concepts that we are thinking. So that's the way of communication. And we did few experiments uh, to look at First, we look what happening, you know, when you're simply listening to a story. And what we found is that first, all listeners' brain responses become coupled to the story, and the brain going up and down in a very similar way as they listen to the story. Now, it's a very complicated matrix of similarities because its brain area is doing something else. So basically, each brain area is going to look different than the other brain area, but this particular brain area is going to be similar to the responses in another brain while you're listening to the story. Some brain areas process the low-level auditory information. Some brain areas process the words and the sentences. And some brain areas process the arc and the narrative and the meaning of the information. Now, the more similar you are to another person in these other areas that process the meaning and the narrative, the better you understand the story. Now, when we look on the speaker brain, we see that the speaker brain is, is the brain that forces the similarity. So, I need to think, articulate, and then the listeners start to process. So, there is a lag between me and the processors, and we see that there is like a causality what I'm saying a second ago going to influence how your brain going to look a second from now. So I'm really influencing and shaping your brain responses. So now we see how the information is flowing from the speaker to the listeners. 
And so how did you discover this? What, what was the nature of the experiments that you carried out? Okay, so the way we do it, we have methods to look at what's happening in the listeners and the speaker brains doing this like natural communication. We mainly use functional MRI in which we can see the activity as people speaking or listening. We're also using other brain techniques that are slightly more invasive and then it's like electrodes within the brain of epileptic patient. So we also have intracranial recording of the actual neural activity from within the brain. And we see similar results when you use these more invasive methods. And, but we should not simplify the story. Basically, communication is complicated, right? I wish it would be as easy for me to convey what I'm thinking to your audience, but it requires some effort. It requires some effort for me to explain the background, and it requires some effort from the audience to now delve into this like new domain of neural activity that they know nothing about. So while I really want to be coupled with the audience, it's not the case that I'm always succeeding in being coupling to the audience. Miscommunication is just part of communication, right? In many cases, we are not aligned. We don't click together. We see that the more our neural responses aligned, the better the communication. But we see also that when we fail to be aligned, the communication suffers. So now we can ask, so what? make you click, and how can you improve the communication? Right? And this is, this is something that we really invest a lot of time in. So maybe I will give you an example to be clear. We took a story of J.D. Salinger, and this story is, is ambiguous in purpose. Salinger was very smart in the way he was writing this story. The premise is as following. A husband lost track of his wife in a party. He came back to his apartment, very anxious, middle of the night, doesn't know the whereabouts of his wife. He picks up the phone, calling his best friend and asking, do you see my wife? Next to the best friend in bed, there is a naked woman. And Salinger is very smart not to reveal the identity of this woman. So in one interpretation, that I assume coming to the mind of many of the listeners now, this like naked woman is the wife and they have an affair. But there's also another interpretation that this is the friend, the girlfriend of the best friend, and the woman is simply loyal and went with friends outside. And that's, an, an example of an ambiguity in communication, right? So what we did basically, as good scientists, we destroyed the ambiguity. <laughs> so in a way, we destroyed the beauty of the story. We took half of the subject that listened to the story and told them, the wife of an affair. So the naked woman is the wife. For the other half, they were saying, the wife is loyal, this is the girlfriend, and the husband is very jealous. 
and unstable. So now you have this like two versions and half of the listeners come with one filter to process the story and the other group coming with another filter. And what we've seen is that the people that have one set of beliefs, one kind of filter, have a very unique responses because they understand the story in a particular way. And these unique neural patterns is very different than the neural patterns of the other group. So although they all listen to the same exact story, if we're looking at the brain, and I need to guess if I don't know what is your filter, what is your set of belief? If I need to guess what you think, it will be like 50% guess, right? 50% you believe the wife is having an affair, 50% you believe the husband is jealous crazy. If we look on the brain neural patterns, I can tell you in 90% confidence, what do you think? Only based on your similarity to other people. So that tell you the disalignment across people really reflect the way they think and process real life story. And this is remarkable. But before we go there, let, let, let me stop and ask you. How do you know whether the wife have an affair or not? It's a very good question. I don't think, don't think that you do, do you? Okay, first you can say, well, it's a fictional story. I don't even understand the meaning of your question. So let's go to real life. You know, sometimes real life gives you the best stories ever. Let's assume that someone is accusing, and it really sounds like a fictional story, but let's assume that someone is accusing the president of the United States that he was sleeping with a porn star while his wife was pregnant, and then paid and asked money to cover the story. One interpretation is this is a true story. Another interpretation, interpretation that this is a fake news come to arm the president. How do you know which version is true? Without all the facts, it's impossible to know. Correct. So how do you know the facts? I don't think we ever will know all the facts. Okay, so I have to disagree with you. Okay, because I'm a scientist. In, in science, we believe there is reality, there is the truth. He either slept with her or he didn't. There is no reality in which both statement is true. So one statement is true and one statement is not true. Now, I do agree with you that it's very difficult to know. But I cannot agree that it is impossible to know. Because if it would be impossible to know, there is no distinction between the truth and fake stories. But how do we know, as scientists, you do the investigation? You, you follow the money, you record the lawyer statements, right? You record the witnesses. You, you ask the FBI to look into it, the district attorney of Manhattan. And you gather the facts, and then you can tell. It's very difficult to tell. But if you do the investigation and really follow the evidence and not stay on the superficial level of listening to the story, you can tell. That's first, it's very important for the listener to understand that there is what you believe in, 
and you, you may believe in one of the options. I don't tell you what to believe in, and reality. And these are two different things. And now, let me ask you the second question that is even more crucial. From where do you gather the information? From those who were there. Basically, let me say, yeah, that's when you do the investigation. Okay. But usually, when you listen to these like pieces, from where do you gather your, your initial information that shape the way you are thinking? Ah, I see. So in, in the modern era, we would get our information from news sources, from the media, from newspapers, yeah. um, from Facebook, from friends, from, from, friends. from exactly. all over the place. So there's like this statement, uh, tell me who your friends are and I will tell you who you are, right? <laughs> so you're right. So basically, the main force that control how we think or what are the filters that we come to perceive reality is our friends, the media, the social media, and, and newspapers and TVs and politicians, right? So in a way, what we think is, is controlled by other people. And what we see in this experiment is remarkable. It's enough to give you one sentence. The wife of an affair, the husband is jealous crazy to change the way you process the same story. And you're going to be similar to people that hold the same belief as you. So now you see that what you bring to the story, what you believe in, really going to affect how you're going to process the story. And that's really complicate the art of storytelling, because it's not the case that the same story is going to have the same effect on, on all people. The same story will have a different effect based on your audience. Right? So you need to know your audience, and you need to know what they bring to the table. Right. So for example, if I'm going to be highly technical now and really talk with a lot of jargon about neuroscience in the brain, I'm going to lose most of my audience, right? Because <laughs> that's not their background. So now there is something, now communication become really complicated, right? Because if we do not share the same background, shared background, and we're coming with a very different perspective, can we really communicate? And we see that now, what's happening in, around the world, like really international phenomena now, is that communication is breaking down. Because, and we become more and more polarized. And we become more and more polarized because each one of us gather the information and the knowledge and these filters from other sources. And we can get such different type of filters and beliefs about the world that it's very difficult to communicate. And in a way, society is breaking down. And this is something that we didn't expect. I have to say, when the internet came on, we were all like optimistic, give more views and opinions and perspectives this democratizing the knowledge actually will, will help people communicate. And we see the opposite. We see basically that what's happening, you, you go into your rabbit hole and echo chamber, 
and you really become more and more pushed to one direction, and then the other group is going and pushed to another direction. And there are many forces at play that gain from this polarization. So you can see that uh, there are many forces in social media and in politics and in TV that that really gain from this uh, polarization. And then the ability to communicate is really breaking apart. So storytelling, it's an interesting case because in one end you want to use it in order to connect yourself to other people. As, as, as I said at the beginning, I grew up in a different culture and all I want is to connect with the others, right? So in one end, it's, you want it to use as a force to bring people together, but at the same time, it can use also as a force to polarize people. So, so it has like a two edges, and, and it, now it depends how you use it. So it's all about finding that common ground, isn't it? Tapping into that collective memory of the people who are going to be in your audience to find Correct. that connection. Common ground is necessary for communication because language is based on our agreement about how to use words and what is the meaning of words. And if you lose this common ground, you break the ability to communicate. And we're living now in, in a time that this common ground is breaking apart. We, it used to be that everyone listening to the same three TV channels, right, when we were kids, and there are like three main... Uh, newspaper outlets. So the conversation was common. It also used to be that it was the task of the media to present both perspectives. Right? So basically, we were all being exposed to other people's opinions. Now it's become, I'm only listening to what I want to listen and to what fit my view. Either I'm listening only to Fox News or only to MSNBC. I'm reading only the New York Times, or, or only a very extreme blog with opinions, right? So basically, I'm not exposed anymore to other people's opinions, and we lost the mechanism to decide about the facts. As you remember, this is why I was like pushing you to real-life situation. It's not enough that you believe that the president did or did, did not have sex with a porn star. That's not enough. It's, we also need to have a mechanism to decide which belief is true, because either he did or he didn't, right? And we're also losing the ability to come to terms and decide about this truth. Basically, when you say that at the beginning, and this is why I, I hesitate to agree that we will never know, in a way, when you say we well, never know, you say you can think whatever you want, and there is no tool basically to ground you. There is no grounding anymore. And when there is no grounding and then common ground, there is no communication. And then society breaks. So it's really interesting moment when you start to study the neural basis, the science behind storytelling to say there is other forces at play behind the storytelling and we have to also 
think about them when we assess the power of storytelling. So these these other forces behind the storytelling, what what are we talking about there? What what are those forces that you mentioned? It's the forces that that say the way you think about the world. When when you come in here, it's like a New York Times or NPR story about the president. It's not even the article investigation about this the president having this like a sex scandal. I know there are so many examples now about the coronavirus, uh, how it spread and so forth. There is really forces that try to shape the way you are thinking, right? It's not... And because we lost the common ground and and the tools to decide between these like uh, forces and we say, no, everything is possible, we lost grounding, and when you lost grounding, and everything become fictional, people become very confused, and and also people become polarized, and they cannot understand the other people's perspective. So, in the past, probably for a very long time, most communication has been two-way communication. So, yeah. why are we happy sometimes just to sit and listen to a story and allow our brain to be coupled to another? person's brain as opposed to having this two-way dialogue what why do you think we're we're okay with this state of affairs i think actually dialogues or two-way communication is easier than listening to a story i think when in a dialogue you have like a ping pong i'm talking for 10 20, 30 seconds, and then you reply, and we have this like exchange of information. This is more natural to us. So I think if I'm looking on my kids, it's way more easier for them to talk with me than to listening to an hour lecture. It's something that you become better and better as you grow up. But we see the same effect in dialogues and in while listening to the story. We have now experiment in which people are talking and we see the same coupling and alignment of brain responses. So the same forces come at play. I don't think that it's really unique to storytelling. What I was talking about is really the basis of communication and you can communicate in two ways dialogues, as we do most of the time, or you can do it while you're listening uh, to a story or to a TV channel, so then it will be like one way. The second one is slightly more difficult for people, but it also, because it's one way, you get a lot of power, because now wherever all the mic can transmit at the same time the opinion to millions of people. And that's basically the power of like one-way communication. So I think one-way communication gives power to the people who are holding the mic and in the, this like moment of social unrest, you can see actually now there is again a fight of who holding the mic, right? And and you see the establishment want to hold the mic, and you see all these protesters say, "Enough, we want other voices to help." So now you can see a fight going on in the streets of who is holding the mic and who have the power to speak. So what what is the What's the antidote to this uh, to this, find, this inability to find common ground? 
first we have to acknowledge that it's a difficult problem, right? Especially now that everything has become more comp complicated and multidimensional. So you know we're living in a more complicated world. There are more factors to understand, and the story is not simple. So first, it's a difficult problem. I don't know whether you know it or not. If you're going to plug a search in Google, and I'm going to use the exact same words in my search, we're going to get different answers. And we're going to get different answers from Google because Google calibrating the search to our profile. And although on one end it makes sense because we are different, it's also a way that it's removing the common ground, right? Because you think you get facts from Google, but you get the fact that you want to hear, right? So, so it's also complicated stuff. So can you ask Google basically to give you the same facts? Yes and no, because you want also to personalize. So that's where it becomes tricky. And then can you ask Google basically to decide about the truth? No, because, you know, maybe with scientific facts like the coronavirus, it's easier to tell what is scientific fact and what is like a myth. I mean, there are some things that you don't want to drink, right? And it's clear for everyone that that's not a scientific fact. So they can tell you not to drink a pure alcohol or chloride or, or something like that. But other things are more tricky, right? So you want to have the, to allow multiple opinions to raise up. So, so it's really a complicated problem how to generate this like common ground. I wish our politicians were, were like more responsible and say, okay, we have some institutes like science, like uh, the court and the criminal investigation, you know, to decide about facts and whatever they said, we should believe, right? So uh, that will give you some common ground. Even this now is, is under attack, right? The, the judicial system is under attack. It, and also become, people use it uh, for political reasons and try to modify it because I understand the force it So basically, we, we're we breaking our society tools to protect itself from this, like uh, there is no ground to, there is no truth. We're really breaking it. And so I think like, that's one way to fix it, is, is to fix the the news channels way of reporting, uh, to decide on common ground. This is like, part, you know, we believe in scientific facts. So we'll do the investigation. We believe in, in, in police investigation for investigation. We believe in, in journal, uh, journal, journalist uh, investigation and so forth. We, we basically, we, we have to establish these tools, otherwise we're going to collapse. Currently, I don't see it happening. I see actually that the opposite is happening. We're losing common ground and we're losing our ability to have tools that will convert to this like common ground. And we believe, as you were saying, we, there's no way to know anything anymore. It's all falling apart. I don't know what I'm thinking anymore. I don't believe anyone. And bye-bye. We're school. <laughs> and how about on a, on a more personal one-to-one -one level? How can we find common ground 
on a one-to-one level when we're telling stories on a more personable level? This is something that always astonishing. You know, whenever I'm traveling, I, 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 I used to travel a lot. Now I'm locked down <laughs> as everyone else. I've been in China, I've been in India, I've been in, in Europe, I've been in South America, everywhere I'm traveling, I can speak with people, so I'm very, a very different background. Even I'm talking with people that the country, my country, my, I used to live in Israel, so, you know, countries that have conflict with Israel, like people from Iran, people from Lebanon, and we always click. So on, on the personal level, also when you know when you travel in this country and, and, and Democrat meet Republican and they meet and speak, you can see that on this like one-on-one when you really channel out all this like a politician and media that playing with your, there's a lot of common ground across people. So there is something really in the power of, of of dialogue, actually, and this is why dialogue is like a two-way interaction, right? It's not an try to make your brain similar to mine. Now we negotiate, and you also try to influence my brain, and it's like only this process of talking force you to come to a common ground, right? Because you try to change me, and I'm trying to change you, and if we really open to this dialogue. And there is a joke in Hebrew that they would like, a, a dialogue is like a monologue. It's like two people talking with themselves. So that's like the, the worst kind of, of a dialogue, right? Because you don't listen to the other side, you only speak what you are thinking. But if it's a real dialogue and you're listening, then there is a force that will try to build a common ground. So dialogue is, is the essence and it's another powerful tool besides this like uh, extra storytelling tools to convert for common ground like science and investigations. Also, dialogue is another tool that can be very effective. That's amazing. So, Uri, can you can you talk me through the the neural coupling experiment that you did? Just walk me through step by step. The, the story that was told within the um, within the MRI machine and, and and how that experiment worked. Okay, so so let's take the Salinger example. I'm giving you one sentence before the story started. The wife is in a affair, and she's she's lying naked next to the guy, the best friend. Oh, the husband is crazy. The life, the wife is loyal. This is the girlfriend, and this is it. And then you go to the scanner, and I'm playing you the story from an headset while you're lying in the dark scanner, and I'm looking at your brain activity as the story unfolds. And I have your brain responses. From each part of your brain, I get a signal. So I get like a... 50,000 different brain signals from 50,000 brain areas. So it's a very complicated matrix. So I have your brain responses, which is like 50,000 brain areas over the entire story. Let's say the story is 
20 minutes, so I have like 2,000 brand sponsors, over 50,000, it's a huge like matrix, right? And now I'm taking your brand sponsors, I'm taking my brand sponsors, and I can do complicated analysis to try to correlate your brand sponsors and my brand sponsors, and to see whether we match, and where we match, and when we do not, right? So I can, I can do fancy analysis, or I can look on simple correlation, between it's like a matrices of brand responses, and I can see whether they are similar or not. And then I can also do the same with the storyteller. I can bring the storyteller, ask him, can you tell the story in the scanner? And I give a microphone to the storyteller so I can record the story while I'm also recording the brand activity. So now I have this like matrix of brand responses of 50,000 brand areas multiply by the time the story took. So it's again a huge matrix and I can compare the speaker neural responses to the listeners by responses. And that's what we do. And then, you know, we can do many different versions of it. I, I have this like, you listen to the same story, listen to the same story, what I give you a different context as in the silencer case, you listening to the story in English, I'm listening to the story translated to Hebrew you know, translation is another thing that we can do. We can do another type of experiment in which you listening to a story and then you lie in the dark scanner and you tell it to another person. So we can see our information is flowing from one brain to another brain to another brain to another brain and so forth. So basically we do a lot of manipulations because stories are complicated. They have many dimensions, so we can really we have the tool to study many different dimensions of storytelling in real life context. So the beauty of our experiment is that we really can use real life stories and see the effect on real life people in real time. So it's it's a powerful method that we have, and it sounds like science fiction that I can really look into your brain without opening it and see what's going on. And, and in a way, it's a mystery because we know nothing about our brains. Right? I'm speaking now, but I don't have access to my brain or my neurons firing. I simply open my mouth and I speak. Or, I, or, I'm, or you open your mouth and I'm listening. So basically, it's an effortless process for us. But the machinery behind it, the neural machinery, is a mystery for us. And now we have the tools start studying it so it's really it's one of the frontiers of science we still know very little there is a lot to learn i'm sure i'm going to be busy for many years but basically and so when you when you're doing those experiments and you're seeing the brain waves of the storyteller and the listener and maybe they've passed it on to another listener or it's translated into into hebrew you're seeing the the brain patterns mirroring each other is that right yeah, they are mirroring and they are coupled. It's more more than mirroring. In mirroring, you have to be similar to me, right? So mirroring is one type of coupling. But, you know, sometimes you can be coupled to me, but doing something very different. I, I, because we're talking with a UK-based audience, let's give a metaphor from, from soccer or football. Right, European football. If basically, if you think about your your 
team, right? The other players in your team. They're all coupled to each other, but you know, one can kick the ball with the leg and the other one will go and kick it with the head and, and have a goal, right? So over there, are, the players are coupled, but each one can do a very different movement. And, and, and the task of the other team is to break this coupling of the other team, right? So basically, they're also coupled in their own way, but decoupled from the other team, or coupled, or anti-correlate, actually, with the other team. So coupling can be complicated more than a simple mirroring, but they are still highly coupled, you know. As an example for that, if my kid starts shouting, and I will start shouting, then we both coupled, but in, in the bad way. If he will start shouting and I will be very calm and say, please don't shout, that's not the way to speak. I'm going to be influenced by him, so I'm careful to his responses, but I'm not responding exact, I'm not mirroring his activity. So coupling is deeper than mirroring, but mirroring is one type of coupling that, that, that we do see. And within the storytelling, what do you find within the story helps to couple more strongly and what do you find kind of diminishes the coupling so you know, again it's a multi-dimensional problem it's not like one factor you know if you don't pay attention because you're thinking about what you're going to do next i lost you as an audience you know if now you are really driving the car and you're thinking where you're going to park i lost you there's nothing i can do even i will be like the perfect storyteller so that's like a low level thing I really want you to want to be coupled to me. So, you know, you can always filter the other person. Then, this like common ground kicking in. Even this like low level things like my accent make it more difficult for you to pay attention. So you need to be more tuned to me in order to understand me. So that's like make communication difficult. And then, what is your set of beliefs? What are the filters that you bring to the conversation? This like common ground. It's another thing. If I'm, if I'm using the technical terms that you don't know, I'm going to lose you. If if I'm holding a very different uh, set of beliefs than you, probably you're going to block me as well from different reasons. So it, communication is, is a very complicated beast. And we should not come with like one parameter. That would what will make you a good storyteller. And again, even the best storyteller can have a very different uh, effect on different listeners, right? So it's always interaction. It's really a coupling between two forces, right? It's the, how, how good is the speaker and how tuned and what is the objective of, of the listener. It's really a meeting of the minds, right? Uri, I'm very um, aware of the time that we have left, so I'd love to ask you a couple of quick-fire questions, if that's all right. So, okay. who do you think of when you hear the word story, and why do you think of that person? My favorite storyteller is Kafka. So I always, you know, and tell me like a good storyteller, I always think about Kafka. But this is a personal preference, because I love the way he's like communicating stories. What is it about Kafka's stories that you particularly love? captures both sides of the story and basically bring you to see the perspective of the others in a way that you, that you don't expect uh, 
to be able to understand. He really understanding human nature in such a deep way that in a very short story will really transform you to the other person viewpoint. It's like for me, it's like incredible. Amazing. And can you recommend any good books or websites or blogs, podcasts about storytelling that we might be able to listen to? You know, I'm sure you're all familiar with the Mott storytelling uh, events, and that's like really fun way to listen to real people telling real stories. And there is some podcasts that also use like Radiolab that really telling the story of science because I'm a scientist. I, I love Radiolab and and how they make science as an engaging storytelling event, and that's like really wonderful for me. And lastly, Uri, where can we find out more about you? Where can we find you online? Where, where might we be able to read some of your papers? I know you did a TED Talk. Where can we find your TED Talk? So, you know, TED Talk is easy to find. Simply plug my name in, in TED's website or YouTube and you will find it. The other work, you know, we always, we really believe in open science. So all our work is on our lab website, uh, hassonlab.com you can find all of our publications you can download it some of them going to be more technical than other sadly some of them we try to make them uh, more accessible well Ori really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today um, it's been a fascinating conversation with you um, I've followed your work for many years um, I love your TED talk and um, I've really enjoyed talking to you today thanks for taking the time Oh, thanks so much for having me. I will look forward to uh, to catching up with you again soon. Enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All the World. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show. And visit weareopusmedia.com for more resources based on today's topic, as well as access to more episodes that will help you develop your storytelling abilities. That's weareopusmedia.com. Thank you and see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.